Welcome to the milk bar. 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 Welcome along to episode 666 of the Milk Bar. Jason Forrest and Zoe Turner here with you. Hello. Hello. How you doing? Very well, thank you. Now you actually get proper hosting credits this week because we had a bit of a natter with Matt Goss earlier in the week, didn't we? We did, yes. It was very good. <laughs> I asked him a cheeky question. As you well, did. Which we was... can find out the results of that a little bit later on, which will be <laughs> um, enlightening, uh, as, at the very least. Uh, but uh, uh, you did also ask him to sponsor you for the event, which you are now lined up to do, which is why, obviously, you can't be sat outside the window there, sort of mouthing things at me through there. No, Jason, this is my warm-up event. This oh, it's is a 10K, Yeah, it's a 10K today. My half marathon's not till next weekend. OK, so the, the, that sounds like fun. So uh, uh, still, you asked him to sponsor you on ed- editing and everything, and... Uh, he wasn't forthcoming but you, you did no. actually go and see him uh, in concert last night launching the album which we talk about what was that like? Oh, it was really good yeah there was some um, old stuff that he did as well as new ones off his album so it was really good okay so you had a good time with that and you can wholeheartedly recommend the album now oh yeah definitely. there's some really good tracks on there there's, okay. there's one which I'm not too keen on but <laughs> but you, you didn't bump into it and tell him that afterwards yeah, like, I'll, I'll report back to his manager. I've got his manager's email address now, so I'll let so him you, know. So you've got to have a word. Yeah, Matt, I wasn't <laughs> yeah. keen on one of them, but the rest of the album's amazing. Oh, yeah, the rest of it is really good, yeah. It, it's, <laughs> I think if you've not heard from Matt since Bros, you'd be surprised at the difference in music, see what I mean? Well, when we do have a chat, we talk about playing a song, and obviously we can could, we could only do that on the radio. We can't do that on here because we haven't got permission yeah. to be able to share it on the internet. But um, it, 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 it is a really good song, isn't it, the single? You like it, Jason? I was impressed. It was actually like music and everything. I have to admit, uh, although yeah, obviously Bross had some fab stuff in the day, you're never entirely sure what you're going to get from people later on, are you? No, no. It is a bit more rocky, I think, this one. So a bit that's more all mainstream, good. yeah. Well, brilliant. So uh, uh, whilst I've got you, what is going on with the uh, the charity events at the minute? As, as we speak, you're about to do a uh, bit of a, a warm event, as you say, for your half K, which is next weekend. But then you've got yeah. something new lined up as well, haven't you? Yeah, um, I'm doing um, trekking through Scotland in September. OK, it's now you've worked out where Scotland is, which is always the tricky bit with you. Yeah, no, I do know where that is. Um, but yeah, it's five days trekking across certain mountains. One of them specially poised in in the UK, I think. Scotland. Yeah, we can we can surmise <laughs> that you're doing Ben Nevis based on that. Oh, probably, yeah. I that, imagine that, so. That'd be the big one. No sneakily using the uh, the, the cable car which goes halfway up either. No. No, I'm really looking forward to it, to be fair. And to start with, they said it was going to be camping, but now they've said no, it's going to be in a hostel, which is much better. Which is just almost like glamorous camping, but with bunk beds. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so, yeah, it should be good. It's meant to help UK again, um, but I do have to raise quite a lot more money, so I, I need to set up my just giving page, and I'll be back on when I've got all that set up. 
Okay, we'll, we'll we'll talk about that then. And you can ask any managers to them yeah. because it happened to be passing if they want to sponsor you as well, which would be nice, wouldn't it? Yeah, I've got his manager's email. I'll be asking. Yeah, we're asking Matt. Stay with it. Now, whilst you're there, I'm, I'm just going to see what else we've got coming up on the show. So we'll be hearing from Rod Clements of Linda's Farm, having an ask with him all about their gig coming up in Stafford in May. We'll be hearing about Bed Knobs and Broomsticks, which is at Wolverhampton's Grand Theatre. Charlie Brunton letting us know all about the show, which is on stage from the 5th through to the 9th of April. We'll be finding out about the latest from the Fellowship Players as they're back on stage at the Grange and they'll be looking at mental health. Also, we'll be finding out about a production which is going to be crowdfunded at the moment as it tries to look at the world of dyslexia. Steve Salt letting us know about that from No Idea Productions. Dr Hilary Jones is going to let us know about gambling harms as we find out what's going on there from him. And we'll also be hearing from Marguerite Elcock. Uh, she'll be along to let us know about her retreat day, which is coming up just outside Bridge North in May. That's going to be absolutely massive to be a part of and a hugely wonderful mindful experience and we will also as i say be thinking about zoe as she goes off for a warm-up run which sounds like a plan doesn't it yeah definitely we finished by half past ten yeah so although that's that means nothing in the world of the internet no no. no, because we're just chatting so lovely to see you thank you for joining (laughs) us and uh we uh, we're going to enjoy our little nasa with uh with matt later on on the show aren't we yeah, I should be rewatching it later. Okay, to half an hour. The wonderful energy and music of Lindisfarne will be brought to the stage of the Stafford Gatehouse on the 20th of May. Rod Clements, original member of the band, joins me now to tell me more about what's going on. Hello, sir. Hello there. Hello, Jason. Hello, everybody. It's going to be huge, isn't it? Come on, this is Lindisfarne on the road after donkey's years again. Well, after, after donkey's years, except uh, we, apart from lockdown, mm-hmm. we've been uh, on tour with the current lineup since 2015. But then, of course, we had uh, 18 months unexpectedly off mm-hmm. uh, until uh, last autumn. But now we're, we're back on the road again. And uh, very much looking forward to coming to Stafford and just doing it again generally. Well, it's going to be great to have you in the Midlands and uh, from the the roots in the northeast, uh, through uh, some amazing hits, some brilliant music, and just the the fun of Lindisfarne uh, alongside the fact that you're blooming talented musicians as well. And of course. Every band that's been going since the 60s has been through uh, a number of lineup changes and a number of names. And obviously, there's always tinge with sadness of those members who are no longer with us. But such a, a pleasure to have somebody who's been there from the start uh, in various incarnations of the band as part of the, the outfit now and fronting the lineup. Yes, <clears throat> yes, indeed. Um, I, I'm the co front man, actually. My, uh, my fellow front man is Dave Hull Denham who's actually Alan Hull's son-in-law mm-hmm. and uh, sings his songs uh, amazingly. I mean, his, his voice is very like Alan's. And uh, it's, it's, it's back to the old traditional format of Lindisfarne, if you like, of having two front men, where it used to be Ray Jackson and Alan Hull. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and now it's me and Dave. And the, uh, the songs divide up pretty much the same way. Dave mostly sings Alan's songs. I sing mine, a, a, a couple of hours, but it's uh, it, it's the mixture that I think anybody that knows Lindisfarne would uh, would expect when they come and see us. We do. We've got a huge variety of songs to pick from. Alan left us a, a vast catalogue of hundreds of songs, 
uh, we do all the, all the big ones, of course, Run for Home, Meet Me on the Corner, and uh, Fog on the Tyne, and all those ones. But we've got loads of uh, album tracks and you know minor hits and things that we can pick from. Yeah, but it, it is just, I mean, decades of, of musicality brought to a show. And you've got audience uh, members who will be young, old, somewhere in between, people who grew up listening to you and you know, sort of enjoying the magic of those those moments. And I think I think this is a, a huge part of it. And we need to see bands like Lindisfarne just to, to get an idea of what it's like to be a proper musician. And, and will you be getting the fiddle out as well? Or is that, is that something that you're not doing so much these days? I do get the fiddle out on occasion. Yes. <laughs> it wouldn't be a Lindisfarne show without a fiddle. No, so, I'm playing um, I'm playing fiddle, mandolin, slide guitar, bits of this and that, and, uh, and singing a few songs as well. But I mean, the, the way in which the, the, the sound was built up, uh, going back you know, so many decades, that there wasn't the studio techniques uh, that uh, we might expect these days. But there, there were other ways of, of making music Work. I mean, you didn't have a, like a 64-track recording device. That wasn't the possibility back then. But it, you, you had to be more creative. And I think it's that creativity that's really brought the sound to life over the years. I think so, yeah. I mean, even going back earlier than us, when you think of the old, you know, like the Beatles recording on four-track, mm -hmm. it's uh, you know, necessity becomes uh, the mother of invention. You know, you have, you, you've got to develop studio techniques for bouncing tracks, overdubbing, and things like that. I mean, our first album, Nicely Out of Tune, was made on eight tracks. Uh, and when you listen to it, there's loads of stuff on it. So, you know, all credit to John Anthony, the producer. We were just young lads, you know, like kids in the sweet shop with all, all these different things to try out. And uh, the next album, Fog on the Tyne, was kind of more minimalist in its approach because we had Bob Johnson uh, who was Dylan's producer and Johnny Cash and Leonard Cohen and loads of other people. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and he took a much more stripped down approach to the recording, which, uh, which was actually great for the songs. It, it made the songs really come to life in a more live kind of way. Through the, uh, the live appearances that went alongside all of the chart hits, because, I mean, you, you hit, the, hit the top of the charts, but I mean, you were made the number two, I think it was in the 90s, that sort of thing. You know, you, you've, you've still had an enduring success, both you know, on stage and off. We did, yeah. We, we, we've, had, um, we've had several careers, in a way. <laughs> we, uh, you know, we, we have a hit or we have a high profile uh, every now and then. And, and then we sort of sink into the, the substrata of the general music scene. And then we managed to pop up again every now and then. And, and that popping up, as I is appreciated by all of your fan base. And, and do you find that when you come back to somewhere like Stafford, or you've been you know, around the region a number of times before, uh, you, you do see the same faces? Is, is it uh, like a family now? It, it is very much. Yeah, we, we recognise. I mean, people do travel. Pe people tend to travel. Um, out of their home area, but certainly in the Midlands, there are a few regular faces that we see. Wherever we go, we've kind of got an idea who's going to turn up. Uh, <laughs> and it's always great to see them. But like you say, you know, there's younger people coming along as, as well. I mean, some of them are um, the, 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 the grown up kids of our early fans, which, which is great. Um, some of them are their mates who've been turned on to our music by those grown-up kids. Um, but I think we've also got um, a bit of credibility with the younger generation 
now because of the um, the groundedness of the band. Mm. It's um, it's it's very unpretentious in its style. It's it's very rootsy musically. I think um, kids who are into folk or roots or or blues music can relate to us. Sometimes they have to be brought along to, to see it, but once once they've seen it, they get it. That's the main thing. If they're basically they're hooked, which is what you what you need. Yeah, but, yeah. But, but with, with so many you know, musical hooks that will draw people in, I mean, Run For Home, I mean, that is just an amazing song. And it, it, I mean, it's got to have featured in so many uh, you know, films and the like over the years. It's just one of those tracks which people will come back to and it'll have great meaning to them. And then you've done uh, the fun of Fog on the Tine as well. I mean, you, you've shown that yeah, you can be serious musicians and have what... Anyone else would have been a, a one-hit wonder. Well, that's the name of the game, as far as we're concerned, is is to have fun and convey that fun, but to do a bit of a serious side as well. You know, we do have, we do have um, um, some contrasting material stuff like you know, like Winter Song, for example, mm-hmm. which is a, a, a great Alan song, which you know touches on the plight of the homeless and things like that, which um, is something which which hasn't gone away since since the 1960s and, and beyond. And um, it, it's funny when um, when you come up with a song which has, uh, you know, relation to the world around us, you know, to society or, or, or whatever, how 50 years on it can still have relevance, it can still be applicable to the situation today. And I think that's another thing that, that younger people relate to is that the songs are somehow still relevant. Well, I said still relevant, still amazing, still well worth a listen. And the opportunity to see them performed live is, it's just uh, one of those things I think you have to do. It's got to be on everybody's list somewhere on the line. And once you go, once you said, you're going to keep coming back each time the tour passes anywhere nearby close enough to get to go along yeah, and see yeah. it. StaffordGateStheatre.co.uk. You need to get in there and get your tickets quickly. I had a little look at the availability and uh, the best seats in the house. There's a couple there that you might be able to grab if you are really lucky, but uh, it is going to be well worth a look. The box office number is 01785 619080. That's 619080. Check out the details, get yourself tickets, go and see Linda's Farm. And, and do you guys do, do social media and stuff like that? Are you enjoying that side of things too? Yeah, yeah. Well, we've got the website lindisfarn.com. Uh, we've got a we've got a Twitter uh, which is uh, Lindisfarn Live, or, or uh, sorry, that's the Facebook is Lindisfarn Live. Mm-hmm. Uh, Twitter is at Lindisfarn now. But yeah, yeah, we keep in touch with all that kind of stuff. And again, that, that adds to the music and helps to keep everybody in touch with what's going on with the band. Well, I'd say yeah. it's going to be an awesome gig. We know that, and it's going to be such talent on stage. We expect nothing less. Rod Clements of Lindisfarne, thank you for joining us. That's a pleasure, Jason. See you all there. Thank you. Friday the 6th of May sees a premium retreat day with our resident help when it comes to our mindful moments, Marguerite Elcock, who joins me now to tell me more. Hello. Hello, Jason. How are you? I'm good. I trust we find you well. I'm really, really well, thank you. And looking forward to my first retreat day at the Asprey in Ridge North on the 6th of May. 
Yeah, just down the road, wonderful settings. And I've seen a couple of the videos you've done from down there. It is absolutely beautiful surroundings. And that already goes a good 50% towards having a, a nice, quiet, mindful time, thinking of yourself, uh, but in a way in which helps to empower you rather than make you the sort of person you don't like. Absolutely. It's, it's a fantastic place. Um, I only discovered it quite recently, despite the fact I've lived in Bridge North for 30 some odd years. It's been completely renovated. Um, and I've got the use of this incredible teepee, um, which is huge. It seats sort of 300 people. It's in a gorgeous walled garden. Um, the resort itself is set in 300 acres in the Shropshire Hills, but it's only a couple of minutes from Bridge North, which is down the road from everyone in Wolverhampton. Yeah, absolutely. It is literally just down the road. I mean, the, uh, and it, it is going to be uh, a, a chance to promote your own wellness and uh, and, and really you know, get get to grips with uh, some of the, maybe the, the troublesome things in your life. But uh, by doing it in a way where you're not sort of you know, grabbing it and shaking it, you're actually smoothing the way through. That that's a really great way of describing it. Yeah, I mean, I think everyone deserves the opportunity to de-stress and relax. Um, and it's a day of well-being and mindfulness with uh, visualisation exercises, breathing exercises. And I'm joined by a really good friend of mine, Julian Holt from the Royal Shakespeare Company, who is a fantastic movement coach. And he's going to take people through some gentle, mindful movement as well. So all of this adding up to uh, a, a day where it's about you and finding yourself um, but you know you don't have to come with baggage, but if you do, then that helps. Um, and it's very much a, a case of prevention of issues is so much better than having to go to, for, the, for the cure. And if, yeah, okay, if, if you are stressed, you know there are things that you need to put right, this is a brilliant way of doing it. But equally, it doesn't have to be like that. It can be, you just want to get some tips to avoid getting into a difficult situation too. Totally, um, I mean, it, it's really designed so that you leave the day with practical takeaway techniques that you can use at any point in your day or in your life, whether it's at home if you're a little bit stressed with the kids, whether it's at work, whether it's something that you want to teach your friends and your own children about. These are real techniques, a little bit like I do every Friday when I do my fantastic mindful moment, which I love doing for you on um, uh, 101.8 WCRFM. It's, it's those kind of things, but really broadened out into a whole day experience and a fantastic lunch included as well. Well, I was just about to get to the food because I think uh, people uh, use all those little tools that we have and, and enjoying something which is uh, great when it comes to, to eating, to a time of fellowship and togetherness and the chance to have a chat. It's, it's kind of networking without the network because you, you, you're together as a, a group of like-minded people all assessing where you are in the world. Yeah, I think that's really, really important. And one of the things that I really wanted to do when I was putting this day together with the Asprey was include a really lovely lunch. Because as you say, there is something really lovely about sitting down together, about chatting, about relaxing, and about enjoying really, really great food. This is not one of those kind of days that people see on American TV shows where everyone's on a juice cleanse or anything awful like that. We are going to have a spectacular chef-prepared lunch. Um, they have a new chef at the Asprey. It's going to be really amazing. And it's about pleasure and enjoyment because that element of pleasure and enjoyment and community and sitting together is a really, really important part of mental health and well-being. Mm -hmm. 
and, and like all of this, every part of it is tailored to you. So if you want to sit down with your lunch and not join in with the conversation, that's fine. If you want to be the heart, life and soul of the conversation and hopefully you sort of use your, your, your excitement about what's going on to help build others, if they want to hear, then that's that's great too. You can, You get to be whomever you need to be throughout the whole of the day. That's really important. Yes. I mean, it's not, again, it's not about enforced enjoyment or joining in or making people do anything they don't want to do. It's about doing the day on your terms. So as you say, if you want to go outside with your lunch, there's a beautiful walled garden. It's absolutely incredible. There's a lake just nearby. If you want to take your lunch outside and think to yourself, do you know what? I'm just going to take an hour, a pause away from the busy world and eat my lunch on my own because I don't normally get the chance to do that that's fine if you want to join a table of people and think yeah it's a great opportunity to chat and meet new people that's something that you can do as well so it's going to be uh, a sort of all-encompassing whatever you need from your mindfulness it will be there as you've already said you're you're a great speaker you've got a movement workshop too and all of this comes together into one and there's no need to feel self-conscious about any of this because everyone's there for the same reason that's really important as well. Yeah, you do not need to turn up um, in your yoga clothes with your yoga mat. I'm quite against that, Jason, if I'm quite honest. <laughs> it suits some people, but it's not most of us. Um, I am not a gym bunny or a, or a kind of yoga person like that. This is about just come as you are, come comfortable, come relaxed, just bring yourself, everything else is provided and enjoy the day. Look at the, the nature that's around us, experience uh, some workshops with me, the fabulous Julian Holt, who I'm really glad is joining me you know and just escape from the world for a day of mindfulness movement and relaxation and uh, so it's that moment of being you who you want to be where you want to be in a nice relaxed environment and just taking not only uh, the, the, the sort of mindful thoughtful process but uh, uh, you switch off from the, the, the processes as well that you need to it, it's almost like uh, you've got a, a, a rack of electricity uh, as fuse board coming in you can switch everything off and just turn on the bits you need for the day and uh, that way you only use the energy that you need to absolutely it's all about de-stress relax and restore and uh, this all comes in at a very reasonable price as well yeah, I mean, obviously, when you plan these kind of days, um, you've got to think about um, paying for the venue, insurance, paying for the lunch and all those kind of things, paying for the people that are working with you. But I've managed to get a really, really, really great deal. I sat down with a pencil and a piece of paper because I'm that kind of person and worked <laughs> it out as cheaply as I possibly could. And it's £150 all in. I mean, you'd pay probably more than £50 for a really nice lunch out somewhere. So, um, yeah, it's £150 all in, a great day, relax, restore, revitalise, 300 acres of Shropshire countryside, the beautiful Asprey Resort, and uh, me and Julian as well. Oh, sounds brilliant to me. And how do people get in touch if they do wish to get themselves booked in for this one? Well, it's if you want to go to the Asprey website, it's the Asprey Resort Bridge North. Um, you can book through that. Um, I also have a, a Facebook event page as well. Um, so, yeah, that, those are the two great ways that you can arrange and you can book for the day. And how do we get in touch with you uh, for one to one work as well? Right. As you know, um, my kind of practice is divided into two, Jason. So I do quite a lot of corporate work and workshopping, um, but I also do see private clients and you can get in touch with me through my website, www.insyncypnotherapy.co.uk. You can also book the Asprey Day through my website or you can give me a call on my mobile, which is 07 411 313132. 
And of course, make sure you're along just after midday every Friday on 101.8 WCRFM where in here at Mindful Moment with Marguerite as well. And so you, you do tailor it to, to what's going on in the world as well. And I think that's the important thing here with mindfulness. You need to take into account the outer environment. It's not all about the, the way in which you react to it. It's the fact that you're reacting to a bigger world out there. Absolutely. I mean, I record them fresh every week for you. So if there's something going on in the world, I really do try to tailor it to concerns that are relevant for that week. Um, a couple of weeks ago, it was National Sleep Day. So I did a thing for you all about um, difficulty sleeping. You know, it, it's, I think it's really important because sometimes people see mindfulness books in shops and things and they think, oh, it's all sort of churned out and it's all kind of one size fits nobody. But that's just not true. Um, and I really, really enjoy, I think 18 months now, Jason, I've been doing Mindful Moments on a Friday. Absolutely. Um, it's been um, absolutely amazing, yeah. each one as well. And I, it's one of the highlights of my week. Um, I have a studio at home. I'm very fortunate. So I go into the studio um, with my uh, my producer and we record our Mindful Moments. I'm very grateful because he edits it because I have no technological ability, <laughs> as you well know. Uh, so I'm really reliant on him helping me out. Um, but genuinely, it's a highlight of my week recording the Mindful Moment. And I absolutely love it. Well, it helps people each week, and we appreciate that side of things too. So you can get yourself involved in a, a big day uh, of, uh, of mindfulness if you're looking at yourself uh, into this Asbury uh, retreat on the 6th of May. It is a Friday, so what better way to do it? Start the weekend properly and take a day for yourself. Fantastic, Jason. Thank you. Lovely to talk to you today. From the 7th through to the 16th of April, the Fellowship players are back in action on stage at the Grange. Tell us more. I'm joined now by the one and only Rod Bissett. Hello, sir. Hello. How are you doing today? I'm good. I trust the world is treating you well and you're getting yourself ready for this latest production. I am currently in at the theatre at the moment while the set build is happening just in that room over there. So any loud noises behind you, we know what's going on there. But tell us about the show. What is it called? What's happening? So this one is called Quartermain's Terms by Simon Gray. Mm -hmm. And this play takes place over two years in a 1960s staff room at a Cambridge school that teaches English to foreign students. Mm -hmm. And it follows the lives of seven teachers, in particular the titular St. John Quartermain, as it looks at what's happening in their lives. The main theme of this play, and as not very cheery as it sounds, is loneliness and depression. Right. Every character goes through some sort of trauma that highlights how either alone a person can feel or a depressive state that can wreck their lives. So it's something to get your teeth into as performers, mm. for definite, and uh, one that you need to make sure you're treating all the subject matter respectfully, but equally to show a, a glimmer of light and a journey through those situations to get to the other side in some cases, I hope. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, this play appealed to me because of my own history and struggles with mental health. Mm -hmm. Many of the performers and people who have been working on the show have shared similar stories and at no point has anyone shown any form of lack of respect towards what we're trying to create here which has been absolutely beautiful and heartwarming to to witness and and through drama and telling somebody else's story we get a better understanding of others and the audience does too and in such a way as 
you can then hopefully help somebody who may find themselves in that situation, but it allows you to spot things and traits uh, that you may not have realized before that could cause you to have a conversation with somebody and start to turn things around for them. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, if as we start to watch the play, we, we, we do see several people you know, having a slight issue, but as the play rolls on, you realize that slight issue has snowballed and gone completely out of control or in some cases has gone completely unnoticed and has now left certain characters completely isolated, completely on their own with no one to turn to. Mm -hmm. So when you've said, you know, hopefully it highlights it to people. Absolutely. I'm, I really hope that the audience walk away from this going, I must check on that person. Or I've not heard from my friend in a while. I need, I, I must talk to them. I need to hear from them. And even though some of the characters will be in very difficult places, it gives you the opportunity to come out of this with almost a, a warm feeling inside for the fact you've recognised it, as we've said. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, to say that, you know, this is a depressive play is not... We have some very comedic moments throughout it, which, you know, sort of does take the sting off it. But ultimately, as you've said, I do want the audience to walk away from this going, wow, can, can I make a difference to people? Can I make someone else's life easier or happier in some way? And, and certainly you want to... You know, challenge people by putting on a, a different range of plays. Uh, last time around, you were having uh, incredible fun as part of a comedy. This time, you, it, it's always good, I think, to see uh, a similar group of people, based on however the casting takes it, but uh, who are part of the same collective, who are able to show versatility in what they're doing, but to have people who consistently come and see someone like the, the Fellowship Players and get a, a broad range of, of different things. It's, it's not like sitting there watching ITV2 all the time where you're, you're, you're fed a, a, a fodder of similar material because that's what's geared towards you. Actually, you've got a, a challenge each time you guys pick up a script and go, well, hang on, let's do this now. Oh, absolutely. And I give full credit and so much respect to the Fellowship Players for, as you say, putting on such a variety of, of shows. We've done our comedy one. We've got people laughing again. This one is going to absolutely tug at the heartstrings. We've got other ones coming up, which, you know, more thriller-based. So absolutely, it is a testament to the Fellowship players that they are so willing to do that variety. And with a show like this, where mental health is sort of kicked under the carpet a little bit, the Fellowship players have gone, no, let's put this show on. Let's explore these themes. Let's challenge our audience and see where it goes from there. Mm -hmm. And certainly something you shouldn't be afraid of going to see either because you don't want to address the fact this is happening because this is happening everywhere, more so than ever before. And in such a way is because in many ways, our society is easier than ever before. But equally, that means that even the smaller challenges seem harder work for people because you haven't got the same sort of maybe support networks that you'd have seen. And the keep calm and carry on attitude, which is sort of sold to us as what we should do, isn't really going to help us out when it comes to what we're going through. And this will allow us to see the minutiae of what's happening and you know, the whole butterfly effect of how it can roll out into other parts of your life. That's absolutely, and that's fully what this play focuses on, which is why I, I love that you mentioned about those support networks. I think it's so important that this play is, we keep it set in the 1960s where mental health issues weren't really known. They weren't really in the 
public eye. And so there wasn't those support networks. If we set it in today, it'd be so easy to go, well, let's call the Samaritans. Let's go see a, a psychiatrist. Let's go talk about it. Back, back then, there wasn't that support, which I think, again, will really highlight that to the audience and go, yeah, some people just don't have that avenue. Mm -hmm. And certainly it encourages to make sure we make the most of what we have as a facility to get help or to signpost somebody to that if we then realise that they might need that extra assistance. Oh, 100%. Absolutely, yes. So tickets are on sale now. It is not far until the show takes the stage. How do people get in touch and get themselves a seat in what is going to be an auditorium of, of, of sort of reflection, but also uh, entertainment through you know, the understanding we gain from it? So two ways. They can ring the box office, and that's done on 01922 630 495 mm -hmm. or they can go straight through our website which is fellowship-players.co.uk and of course this is taking place just down the road in Warsaw absolutely we are right next door to the uh, Arboretum entrance just on the Broadway North Road so uh, and what, 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 what signage are we looking for have we got, to, have got brown signs or, uh, we or, have got a, a brown sign you are looking for the Grange Playhouse and as soon as you find that sign, go down it, head towards the well, the cream-looking metal building, and we'll be in there with a warm welcome, and hopefully my cast will put on an absolutely delightful show for you. Well, yeah, I think that's the uh, delightful, thought-provoking, and an opportunity to get a great understanding of others through the drama that's portrayed before us, but uh, equally, as you say, set over a period of two years, so you really can see... The, the way in which these characters interact and uh, what happens around their lives and the things that maybe could have been done differently. Well, I think it's going to be another excellent production from the Fellowship Players. Rod Bissett, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me again. The No Idea Collective have a brand new project. They're looking at crowdfunding. They are new to the world too. To tell us more, I'm joined now by Steve Salt. Hello, sir. Hello, hello. Thank you for having us. Well, good to talk to you. Now, uh, the, the company itself is new. However, you have done an awful lot of work, particularly over the last few years, uh, seasoned performer and uh, about to get into the world of theatre production by the sounds of it. That's right, yeah. So we've... Uh... Done lots of little bits here and there, worked in the Midlands and, and with a film just recently with uh, You're My Sunshine, which was um, which released and premiered. And um, now me with a few drama school friends who I graduated with, we're forming this, this theatre company together uh, on a new, a new adventure. So what are you looking at putting together at the moment and, and where do you expect to be able to take this to? So this is going to be a, we are a devised theatre company. So we make work from all sorts of stimulus. And this is going to be a work centred around the education system mm -hmm. and we're putting questions around the edu education system. Um, is, can we improve it? Is there ways that we can question the way we're working? Is there new ways of approaching learning? Um, which can improve the experience for different types of learners. So that's kind of the focal point of the, of the show. Um, and the main, the main area in tandem with that is dyslexia. So that's kind of the, the, core, the core principles can be dyslexia in the education system and what that is. Um, that's kind of the show. Um, and what we're trying to do is trying to uh, crowdfund 
a little bit of money so we can we can get it off the ground and get it in front of an audience as uh, as soon as we can that's the that's the plan going forward over the next few months mm-hmm. and have uh, any of the collective actually got experience of uh, dyslexia themselves yeah yeah good question so so max who is our, our director he he has dyslexia mm-hmm. and we're two or three of our actors as well have dyslexia too so we have a lot of knowledge in the room around the experiences of dyslexia, what it's like to have dyslexia, and the the all all the things that come outside of the education in your life through dyslexia too. And we've mm. been and interviewed a lot of specialists as well around dyslexia, which has been very interesting. And um, speak to other individuals. We've had a lot of Zoom calls with dyslexic individuals to kind of get gather a resource of knowledge and experience around the topic. Um, which has been really interesting to find out, mm-hmm. actually. Yeah, because I mean, with this lecture itself, it's treated in, in the same way as many other uh, differences uh, between people. It, it, it's just basically a, a non-standard. The description of, of as word blindness, I don't think is helpful. Uh, it, it is just the way in which some people are and aren't able to interpret it, what's on that written page. Uh, it doesn't mean they have, don't have an understanding of what's there. It's just getting the information input can be harder for them based on the way it's presented to them in what's there for the you know, 98% of the population or whatever it is. So it, it is purely making sure that you can get the information to the people in the right way. And through, through drama itself, I mean, that is another great way of communicating. Yeah, you, yeah, you express it beautifully there. That's absolutely right. There's, there's, it's, it's all about how do, we ta- how do we tailor the education system? How can we challenge it, question it to say, is this serving everybody who's in the room? Um, and that might be through dyslexia, um, but it can be through other different neurodiverse um, learning styles as well. So it's it's about that question is really interesting about how um, the education system can wear somebody down who isn't being uh, who's having a real tough time with the way that the the, the skills have been offered to them as a as a learner. Um, but like you say, it doesn't mean that dyslexic uh, individuals can access the work and cannot do the work. Um, people with dyslexic have wonderful traits that uh, neurotypical learners would be so uh, would crave to have. Um, creativity is such a huge, um, uh, and imagination is such a huge part of dyslexic learners. They have a huge imagination, a huge, um, a huge wealth of problem solving. You know, in in entrepreneurship, inventions, uh, all these things are wonderful skills that dyslexic have. We want to celebrate that as well. We want to celebrate the uniqueness of dyslexia and the potential that it has. Mm-hmm. So we saw a, an amazing uh, statistic that only 3% of the population see dyslexia anything other than a negative thing. So it's got such a bad rep and a bad, a bad image in the UK. Um, and we want to try and challenge that with the work that we want to make and say, actually, the potential um, and this is this is what it actually is like, you know, really be honest with it.
Because you're looking at, at someone's interface with the world. That that is what it is, really. And it's uh, the, the the way the world presents to them is something that they can't process in in the usual way. So looking for for different ways around that and exploring that world um, and and not holding back because somebody who is dyslexic already has done an awful lot more work than somebody else who may have the same attainment and achievement, uh, but they haven't been able to do it in show what they can do in the same way because that link isn't there for them. And so this sounds like it's a project which is hopefully going to educate and sort of turn things around slightly so people can start to see that actually they may be running at 150%, but only able to produce 80 to 90% because of the interface that's there. And it's maybe like using trying to use an old phone on the, on the wrong operating system compared to what the, the world needs now with the latest operating system. Yeah, that's, that's absolutely. And... Um... You, something we really want to tap into as well is there's a, there's, a, there's a population out there in the UK of undiagnosed dyslexics, people who have been going around about their lives who, who might not even realise that they are dyslexic, um, especially people who are 40, 45 plus, who when the education system didn't recognise dyslexia, you no know, screening was not, not like it is today. And we want to tap into that as well because we find that very interesting and, and what that is for somebody who that maybe think maybe I am dyslexic, but I've just kind of, I've kind of gone about my life normally. I've not really thought about it. And maybe this might bring, bring something up and then may, maybe try and pursue a screening. So that's, that's something as well um, that would, is very important in the work that we're going to make too well and i know you're looking at getting some educators on board as well and uh, dave hastings you worked with in the past i know is very interested in being part of the project so that could, could produce to be particularly uh, uh, good to to, to have i say a, a wide collective of people on board to sort of explore and and educate at the same time but equally providing a piece of, of theatre or whatever comes out of this that is able to be accessible to all and, and really approach and explain somebody's situation. So where can we go for more information uh, on all of the, what's going on here and the crowdfunder? Yeah, thanks, Jason. So we've got our, um, our Instagram, our Twitter and our Facebook all are um, at No Idea Collective. And it's No I as in the I and then Deer as in the animal and then collective so no idea collective and our crowdfunder uh, www.crowdfunder.co.uk forward slash render and render is the name of our piece that will work out the working title of our piece at the moment check out those details see how you can get involved at this stage through the crowdfunding side of things, but then know that there's the opportunity to get involved in a bigger way once this comes to fruition. But it sounds like absolutely brilliant work helping those who say have got that interface issue with the, the written word and uh, you know, finding a way in which they can uh, be uh, part of a, a project here which will really make a difference and, and boost confidence. And that's one of the things that I'm sure you've appreciated from your time uh, studying your art is the fact that yeah, you really can build confidence to get a greater understanding of other people through playing parts and roles. And that, and that, that must be uh, uh, one of the real bonuses of what you do. Absolutely. You know, you get to experience different different worlds than you're originally exposed to. And this is just another avenue that we're exploring and researching that is opening up something else for me that um that i that i've not experienced personally but i'm really fascinated by it and that's the kind of the beauty of performance the beauty of of art that we make is we get to explore 
different parts of the world around us and that's what it's about it's about questioning the world challenging the world um is this is this where we want to be and where can we go next and th these are the kind of questions that we want to ask our audience with the piece that we're trying to make so yeah so that's that's kind of the avenue that we're going down well steve's all from the no idea collective thank you for joining us thank you jason really appreciate it With the magic of bed knobs and broomsticks arriving at Wolverhampton's Grand Theatre from the 5th through to the 9th of April, it's going to be an absolute treat. That is pretty much a given. Charles Brunton joins me now to tell me more about the show. Hello, sir. Hello, you right? I'm good. Are you OK? Yeah, it's good, thanks. I'm quite excited, so I can't wait to go out and look at the floor around the city. And I suppose because there's a, there's a reasonable amount of, of makeup and, and the costumes are quite different in this show, you can go incognito, can't you, with bed knobs and broomsticks? <laughs> yes, no one actually recognises when I pop out of the stage door, which is quite good. <laughs> I've got a, a very intensive wig and facial moustache that's stuck to my face every day. So uh, when I leave the theatre, no one recognises me in the streets. Quite nice. <laughs> so, Emilius Brown is your role. Uh, for, the, for those like me who have I haven't actually seen the film because it was the wrong time for me. It wasn't on telly when I was the right age and things weren't available on video when I was a kid. But this, this takes us back a long way to the cinema version of it, doesn't it? Oh, yes, absolutely. So the film and the stage version are very different from each other, <laughs> I have to say. So obviously, we follow and acknowledge what the film has done, which is brilliant. But we very much are a standalone piece. So if you have seen the film before, you won't be disappointed because we acknowledge the things that happened in the film, but we have our own twist on it, and it's very much a standard-side piece of art, really. <laughs> um, and for those who haven't seen the film, you don't need to watch the film before you come to see us because we're very separate. So it, 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 it's been received very well by audiences from both people that have been fans of the show and people that have never seen the show before, which is wonderful. <laughs> so, so tell us a bit about Emilius. Ah, so Emilius Brown. So I am, as far as the kids and Eglantine are aware, I'm a wizard that has uh, my own witchcraft school in London. Um, now, the Rawlings children have been evacuated from London to the countryside, um, where they, they, they live with um, Eglantine Price, who happens to be an apprentice witch. Now, she is trying to use a spell called substitutionary locomotion, which means she can use inanimate objects to go to war and fight instead of using people to, uh, to go to war. And she needs that spell off me. So she then manages to go and find me, only to discover that I'm a total charlatan. I'm a con artist. and I've been literally selling random um, messages that I found in an old book somewhere. <laughs> um, and so we then go on a big adventure trying to find this final spell to, well, in the film, it's to defeat the Nazis, but in our stage version, we refer to them as the Looming Shadows. We very much see the entire story through the children's eyes in the show. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, so these evacuated children, so, I mean, during the war, they, they did think that these Nazis were Looming Shadows. That's why we refer to them as the Looming Shadows <laughs> throughout the show. Um, and then we go on this amazing adventure trying to find this, this magical spell and... If I say any more, it will ruin the ending because we've got a lot of twists and turns that you don't expect. We agree with no spoilers. That is the way it should be. But exactly, I mean, this, no this is actual magic on stage, though. I mean, we, we, you've just said that uh, your character is a little bit of a charlatan, but the, 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 there is you know, true magic in not only what has sort of been carried over from the movie, but stage magic to tell the rest of the story the way you can on stage. Oh, absolutely. Well, we've got lots of different styles of magic within the show. Um, we've got the main illusions like the bed flying and then the broom flying as well. 
uh, which no one can work out how it's done, which is brilliant. Including <laughs> you and you're on stage. Exactly, including me and I'm sat on the thing. Um, <laughs> no, it, it's absolutely brilliant. Yeah, and I have to just tell people that it's just magic that makes everything fly. Um, but it is seriously, it does. It, it, when we're on the bed and we're flying around, you look at the people's faces in the audience and they are literally have their jaws are hit on the floor because they can't work out how it's done. It's so funny. And just when they think it's something like, oh, we're on strings or whatever, we then fly through an archway. <laughs> so it, Evan, literally it baffles people how we actually do this. Um, uh, we also have other tricks in the show that I do. I do lots of street magic, you know, like uh, silks and linking rings and things like that. The type like Paul Daniels type magic, <laughs> which, oh my goodness, was so difficult to learn and rehearsal. <laughs> um, we had a magic tutor come in to teach me um, all these tricks with these silks and things. And it's so difficult. And then she had a meltdown with a linking ring. So that illusion where it's got two metal rings and they, they link together, then you unlink them. And it looks like they've molded together somehow. It took me about a week to perfect that, and I, I literally had a meltdown on the floor and cried in rehearsal because I couldn't quite do it. <laughs> it's so, so tricky. I really take my hat off to all the magicians out there because I didn't realise how difficult this magic is. <laughs> We've got lots of other things like turning into rabbits and turning back out from rabbits back into humans on stage, which always stops the show, really. <laughs> so it, it, it's impressive, which is what counts. The family is in its entirety is going to love it, whether you're remembering the film and you want to see this version of the stage antics or whether you're a kid who's growing up with this as the thing to watch. Uh, I mean, Bedknobs and Broomsticks is... It, it's just iconic, isn't it, really? And uh, who plays oh, your who plays your equipment? role in the film? Oh, it's David Tomlinson in the film, that wonderful man. He was also Mr. Banks and Mary Poppins. <laughs> um, I have to say, the way that I play the role is, obviously, I acknowledge what he's done before, but it's a very, very different version of the role mm -hmm. um, than what you're expecting in the film. It has to be because it's different script, there's different writing. It wouldn't make sense if I played it the same way as him. And also, if you did want to just see him, just watch the film. <laughs> exactly, you've got two <laughs> options. Exactly. <laughs> so you can uh, see that with the show, but because of such a wide audience base and all the fans from the film from all those years ago, we've had to make the show so uh, acceptable to people that are like eight years old all the way up to 99 years old. So normally when you're doing a show, you have your target audience of like, you know, oh, uh, 80s to 30s or uh, 30s to 40s or 50s to 60s. That's our main audience who's going to love this show. This one was a real challenge of making a show appealing to both eight-year-olds and 99-year-olds. And I think we've done it. <laughs> well, it, it sounds absolutely awesome. And just the magic itself sounds pretty amazing. And the rest of it is going to be uh, yeah, all part of the, the magic and, and the colour. And it's like, it, it is a Disney story. So, you know, you've got some of that Disney magic in there because they wouldn't have let you do it if you weren't going to do it right. No, exactly, exactly. I mean, we, we had the Disney team came in to check in on us in rehearsal, which is quite scary, but they were all very lovely. <laughs> <laughs> in fact, when, when I got the job, I got the phone call after doing all these six auditions, which were quite intense. I got a phone call from my agent saying that the UK and creative team all want you to play Amelius, and I was like, yes, that's brilliant. And then they said, but we have to wait the weekend for the office in America to wake up so they can check it with Disney first to approve me. So that weekend was the longest weekend of my life. <laughs> <laughs> and then, thank goodness, on Monday, when America woke up, um, I got the phone call from agents saying that Mickey Mouse, Donald and Goofy are thrilled and uh, they've approved me for the role. So I was over the moon, absolutely over the moon. It's a seal of approval you want, you isn't it? Mickey Mouse says you're good. <laughs> but it's just such a dream role to play for an actor, to originate your own interpretation of a brand new role 
in a big production like this. It's, I mean, it's a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to be able to do that. So I'm so thrilled to be able to do this on stage at the moment. It's just been such a wonderful tour for me. And we've only actually, we've only got about seven weeks left of the actual tour. We've been doing it nearly a year now. And, uh, I mean, it's been a massive success. We've been getting, like, wonderful five-star reviews everywhere. And the audience reaction to it is just wonderful every night. We always get standing ovations because people are blown away. And I've never, never, ever been in a show where the front, like the front few rows, are openly crying at the end. <laughs> it's wonderful. <laughs> it really is wonderful. It shows that you've done your job well. <laughs> it's work. We expect nothing less. It's going to be absolutely amazing. It is Bedknobs and Broomsticks, Wolverhampton's Grand Theatre, the 5th through to the 9th of April. 01902 42921 is the box office number. Grandtheatre.co.uk to get your tickets. And Charles Brunton, thank Thank you for joining us and have a brilliant time break a leg and just don't do the magic tricks wrong thank you <laughs>New data from GamblerWare is highlighting a return to pre-pandemic rates of gambling. Alongside this, obviously, there are concerns around harmful gambling too. To tell us more, I'm joined now by Dr. Hilary Jones. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jason. How are you? I'm all right. I trust we're finding you well. Yeah, you do. Very well indeed. And I'm enjoying the sunshine too. Absolutely. Brilliant stuff. Now, obviously, uh, gambling is of concern uh, when it becomes a problem. We know that when the fun stops, you should stop. But that's not easy for everybody, is it? Absolutely not. Uh, we, we know that, uh, as you just said, gambling is back to pre-pandemic levels. And whilst most people can uh, dabble in a, a little flutter uh, now and again, and most people enjoy it, for some people it becomes addictive um, and they get into gambling harms, which isn't just a financial harm. Um, it, it also affects relationships. It can affect jobs and employment. Um, and it can affect people's mental and physical health. And we know that 2.9 million people are at risk of gambling harms and there are in existence 1.4 million who really need help with this and and the campaign that is currently in uh, in in progress which is the national gambling treatment service campaign um, is there to encourage people or individuals or their loved ones who are worried about them to come forward and get help and help is there for them yeah because i mean you you are looking at uh, someone probably needing to uh, intervene in some way to raise a flag and to make you think about the situation. But it's, this is something with symptoms, isn't it? Absolutely. So, so it's an addiction like any other, and it can be a very powerful addiction, just as powerful as tobacco smoking or alcohol. People get embroiled in it. It, it, it ticks the boxes for the what we call the, the pleasure pathway. Uh, it lights up areas of the brain which, which give you pleasure, but raises that hope, and then it dashes your hope when you lose your money. And, you know, there are health inequalities involved with gambling, too. So areas of deprivation, um, people who are not financially well off take that risk uh, and they lose even more money and get themselves into even more trouble. But the good news is that the, the National Gambling Treatment Service is, is there um, joining up the NHS with independent groups across the country to offer one to one support, either on the telephone, anonymously and free um, and confidentially. Um, uh, to offer advice uh, on the telephone or on online or in peer support groups um, and in all sorts of ways to help people. And we know that uh, for nine out of 10 people who seek help uh, from gambling harms, nine out of 10, nine out of 10 people who seek help will find um, a really good, effective means of, of, of getting help. Yeah, I mean, because so you're looking at something here, which, is, as you said, is going to affect their mental health, which will have an ongoing effect with their physical health too. Uh, you, they may not be able to afford to look after themselves properly. It could affect their eating. Uh, it could cause them to start drinking if they don't already. And uh, you know, these are all things which can build up to a, a real problem, all for the sake of the fact they think their next one is going to be the winner. 
Absolutely. And, and, and that's the thing they get drawn into. They see adverts um, for, for gambling. They, they see sport on television um, and the temptation is always going to be there. Um, but the more you give into it, the, the, the more the more uh, gambling harms you're at risk of developing. And for every one person that's sought help, and, and there's been eight and a half thousand um, uh, already that have sought help, as I say, nine out of 10 get effective treatment um, and help with this and support. Um, and for every one person who does that, there's a, probably 160 that aren't coming forward to get the help, but it is there. Mm -hmm. So there's an opportunity to, to make a change, to, to get right, to get out of, uh, of this. And in the same way as alcoholism is a, a, an addiction that we know we need treating, we need to look at gambling in the same way. Absolutely. And, and the two often go together so, so that people might sort of um, escape from their, their gambling debts into uh, alcohol, as you say, and, and, and vice versa. Um, so it's, a, it's an ongoing thing. But there is help. And the, the phone number I want to give you, uh, and this is available 24 hours a day, this sort, source of help and uh, around the clock is 0808 8020 133. And the website is begambleaware.org forward slash ngts and, and the, the the industry itself is is financing part of the be gamble aware campaign so they know they're not looking for people to be addicted within the industry they want people to enjoy gambling in a sensible safe way although we already know the only winner is the gambling industry that has to be how it works otherwise they wouldn't be able to do it that's absolutely right. And, and actually, uh, the NHS now are going to be doing this uh, independently of any of any charitable donations. So um, the, the NHS are setting up dedicated clinics in conjunction with independent um, uh, charities that are there to support people. So um, Gambler are not are not providing funds for these NHS clinics and, and the uh, and the treatment service. It's going to be there. It's going to be um, completely independent. And there's going to be experts specially trained to, to talk to people, to give them one to one support, which is so important in a non-judgmental way. So it's tell us about your problems. What's bothering you? Um, are, are you are you struggling with your mental health, any physical problems? And they will help people every step of the way to get the treatment and the support they need. So give us those details again where people can get in touch if they believe they or someone they know has a gambling issue. Yeah, it's 0808 8020 133. And the website is begambleaware.org forward slash NGTS. Uh, as ever, Dr. Hilary Jones, thank you for joining us. Thanks, Jason. Take care. With The Beautiful Unknown, released on the 25th of March, Matt Goss is out and about doing some promotion and joining us now to tell us more about the album. Hello, sir. Hello, sir. How are you? I'm good. I trust we're finding you well and, and loving life. Um, you know, I just returned from Africa. Uh, I did a show in the Serengeti and I, I am feeling like euphoric in a way, like coming back to London and just the sun is shining and just uh, to, to be here promoting a, a record that I've been making for the last 19, 18, 19 months is, is an amazing feeling. It's been so well received. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling good. So this has kind of been lockdown working, especially uh, with uh, everything that's been going on. And I, I suppose, I mean, you've spent, what, 10 years in Vegas, and this is your chance now to, to go out and explore the rest of the world again for a bit. Yeah, I mean, I've been doing shows. I mean, I've done the Albert Hall and Wembley, obviously with the O2, a couple of nights there too, and the whole after the screen, I mean, it's not stopped. I mean, I've still been neck deep in promo and, 
and other shows around Vegas. But this is the way this is different is because I, you know, after 11 year residency um, and doing you know, 120 shows a year, I just felt the need to um, go back to my roots entirely, not just when I come back to the UK to do shows. It, it's a way of life. You know, I feel very proud of my legacy. I believe it's the longest running British residency in history, in Vegas history. And and I feel I've, I've, I've earned my stripes there. And, I'm, and it doesn't mean I won't go back at some point. I just really crave seeing the world and a little hole in the wall, sushi joints and, <laughs> you know, and restaurants and just seeing the world differently than I did when I was in the band. And I've, you know, I'm, I've been very lucky. I've, I've traveled all over the world, but I want this to be a, a, a constant in my life rather than, you know, sporadically, sporadically uh, touring throughout the year in between my, my residency. What's made you come to that decision? Has it been like the last few years where, where we've had COVID and you haven't been able to do the shows that you wanted to do? Um, I think it was almost the opposite. I mean, I, I, I've done, I did so many shows. I feel that I felt that my only concern as an entertainer was to lift an audience, lift my audience in, in Vegas and, and to make sure that I elevated and transported them into a place that was void of any bills or any pain or any, and I always succeeded. And there was not an audience that I didn't manage to transform, but I would drive home and I would feel this, almost this isolation and, and, and loneliness. I just, I just felt like I'd, I'd given after 11 years, I felt like I'd given as much as I could. And I became a destination point. And it's a very powerful thing when you think about people getting ready, putting their suits on, their dresses on, their aftershave and their perfume, and, and you are their night out. It's, it's a beautiful pressure, but it started to just become a pressure for me because I was really masking a lot of my, my pain. Mm-hmm. I, was my, I was not addressing any of my, any of my grief about this, my mum. Um, and I know I speak about it quite a lot now, but I, I, in some ways I have to. And, and when I come back to the UK, I feel there is an extended, some people may understand it, some people may not, but it feels like an extended family. The way I am received in this country is like a member of the family. I can't explain it. Somebody said to me the other day, you've been in the press every month for 35 years. And, um, and uh, which, which, makes me understand me understand allows me to understand a little bit more why there is such a familiarity with me with people that I talk to I did 65 selfies the other day and (laughs) every single one every single one included in conversation I felt very 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 blessed is that why you do um because you're on Instagram live quite a lot aren't you and you have been throughout COVID is that why you've you've taken to that media because it brings you closer to the people that follow you your your family uh, no, the reason why I went to Instagram Live is because I felt that a familiar face was needed. Mm-hmm. And I just, I hopefully have a way of putting people at ease. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, my mum raised me to know that, know without question that I'm not above any man. And um, we're all the same. You know, I, you know, I know that I have a familiar face. and But I, I realised very rapidly that, you know, one on one of the lives that was very dramatic, a uh, woman, was in, in great distress and um, we had over 20,000 people watching that live and 
I, it gave me a sense of purpose that I was making a difference. And then out of that, they let me know that they really wanted new music from me and they wanted me to be the, the pop star, rock star that I am and because I can smash it and there's not an audience that I haven't been able to lift, lift, mm-hmm. lift yet. And uh, I just wanted to go back to that world. But my fans are the ones that made me see clear more, more clearly. And, and is it, do you think the time you spent in Vegas and the, the, the experience of the last t- two years that have really helped to form this new music from you? Or is there something else which you've had as a, a storyline, a narrative you want to tell here? Well, the name of the album is The Beautiful Unknown. So I, like many other people, fear the unknown. And, you know, it's, uh, I think when you also lose that, that, that phone call, so my mother and my, uh, you know, people that have, that have worked around me that, that no longer exists, um, that everything is, everything's going to be okay phone call just simply doesn't exist for me anymore. And um, what makes me feel at peace, the most peaceful place for me is on stage. And when I am connecting with an audience and I feel a shift and, and I transport an audience and, and there's no worry and they're just, there's a bona fide connection between us and respect. Um, and I knew that I want to I go back to Japan and, and Germany and France and Italy and Spain and, and this wonderful country I was born in and, and just tour regularly. And I don't want people to think that it's weird for me because some people are allowed to go on a journey. You know, Vegas is part of my journey as a singer. Um, but it, but with me, sometimes I feel like I have to explain it. It's not a reinvention. It's just exactly that. It's part of my journey. Now, this part of my journey is that is one that will for, forever, to the day I drop stay with me, I will continue to write contemporary music and always be aware of what's going on in fashion and music. And I always have. I've, I've, I've been lucky enough to have some cultural effects on fashion and music and even in the document the way the documentaries are made i've been you know we're extremely honest and it won the bafta and and that's in recent history i want to continue to contribute and be part of pop culture Mm -hmm. now zoe i know you've been asking uh, some of our followers for uh, a few questions for matt so what have you got for us i have i've got a few for you so I have one from Lisa Coward. She said, you've briefly spoken about being given a role in a new movie. Can you tell us more about that? Yeah, I mean, it's it's been one of my dreams. It's truly been one of my dreams. Um, my brother's entering into music and exploring that. And it's been something I've wanted to do as well in regards to the film. And um, it's the psychological thriller. I play a real, real bad guy. Um, he's charismatic, but he's quite quite a handful and um and the people around the project think that i'm right for this and have faith in me and that's a nice thing too that i'm not being compartmentalized into this little world of, of what they think i should do they, they're like you need to be in front of the camera and you've got you've we believe you got what it takes you know I've, I've done some screen tests for some very very big projects um shows that you would definitely know um, but it, this is just time now that I've, I've signed on to it and it's happening. So I'm, I'm just excited about it. You know, and now I've, I've spoken to Luke about some of the film work that he's done recently. Is there potentially a collaboration there as well, do you think, in the future? I think the only collaboration, if we ever did something, I was, I was very good friends with Reggie Cray and Reggie wanted me and Luke to play them. Mm-hmm. He was adamant. He was like, we, this is, he said, I want you to play us. 
um, when I visited him in prison, and he he uh, he really really wanted us to play them, and uh, so I feel that um, that would be the only thing I can think immediately where there would be a twin a, a role for twins to play. Uh, I would love to play that role, and after knowing Reggie for some time, and and, uh, and also people that know know him. That would be something. It would be a dream role for me and Luke to to play. I think. And I think we would. I also think we would smash that role. I have got another question for you that I've got from a Facebook fan of yours, Carol Scotland. She says, "What has been your favourite collaboration so far with another artist?" I think the most fun, uh, the most fun I ever had was Live A Two. Um, you know, just all those incredible artists. Um, I've I've really loved also playing with you know like this Tokyo String Quartet in Carnegie Hall, that was a beautiful experience. Um, an album that I've recorded um, that's in my safe in America is ready to go. It was recorded on Nat King Cole's piano uh, at Capitol Studios in Hollywood with the legendary John Pizzarelli Quartet. Um, that was an incredible experience. It's probably my favorite. One of my well, one of my favorite records I've ever made because you can literally put the faders at, at zero, all of them, <laughs> and the record just sounds mixed. It sounds it's so beautifully done, and it was also produced by myself and Ron Fair, who's obviously multi Grammy uh, nominated producer, and also is so is John Pizzarelli. But um, yeah, I've been I've been lucky to 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 perform where I won my Brit with I sang with Tina Turner in the Four Tops and. Uh, just done a lot. Of, the, the list is endless. I mean, the list is endless. Oh, you, yeah, you're the guy who says like a complete bucket list for somebody else. It's amazing. <laughs> yeah, I'm a very. I feel like the, the places that the boys take you. Like I said, I just got back from Africa, and, and it's a life changing, life changing trip for me. It makes you very. It made me feel very, very temporary, and and almost almost irrelevant. Just to see nature at its at work and the way that the 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 pecking order of life happens on the plains of the Serengeti it's it's uh it's but that was also because of, of I did a show out there and was lucky enough to do a few safaris while I was there but you know it, it's it's an incredible thing where this part of your body takes you I've got a very cheeky question and I think it's very cheeky if, you, if you're happy for a cheeky question Matt always always <laughs> it says um this is from Marie Summers do you still have a pair of lucky pants? If you do, when would you need to put them on? <laughs> lucky pants. Um, <laughs> that sounds like something yeah, smashy put you through in the past. Th th <laughs> thankfully, um, thankfully, I don't um, wear those boxes anymore. Boxes have become extremely uncomfortable. But the good news is, I feel like I need more support than I used to. Do you know what I mean? I feel like <laughs> things have just got things have just got bigger and better in that department. <laughs> So, uh, so I just need something a little. I need a good, good trunk that that keeps me in, keeps me in a safe place. You know? maybe, and maybe I do for the for the record. If you're asking me, I I dress to the left. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear! Right, have you got one more for Zoe? We have one from I am Mrs Kate G. <laughs> She's on Twitter. She says, "Which track from your fate your new album gives you goosebumps?" Um, I think. Uh, the beautiful unknown I think because the story the meter and cadence of the melody mixed with the lyric and the anthemic chorus that it is 
um, and the way it sounds live, we've been rehearsing all week with the band. Um, it's just a, a, an incredible song. I have a feeling that if it's given a chance, it will become a very, very well-known song around the world. I mean, but you're used to that. You're used to people recognising your music, everything from you know, the, the early days right the way through till now. There are people out there singing your songs back at you on stage, which, again, that's probably the greatest honour, isn't it? It's when the audience know the words. Yeah, it's, it's funny you say that. I've said that a few times today and, it's it's there's nothing more surreal in some ways that when you write a song you're in, invariably write it in the environments that we're in now or on a plane or you know wherever you are and it's 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 a very it's a place of solitude and then it goes out of that place of solitude into into a slightly more social environment of the studio and you create it as a song and then eventually you have to give it away um, it gets reviewed it gets digested in on a holiday in cars, making love, eating food, and hearing in shops. And, and then when you can stop singing and, and you know that they're going to sing the, the line back to you, it's a very, very powerful experience. And um, because of where it comes from, it comes, as I said, it comes from such a place of solitude, you know, um, and it always ends up into in such a public forum. And it's something that's quite addictive. When I hear my music on the radio, to this day, when I do an interview and I'm doing a national radio interview or I'm doing a, whatever I'm doing, and I'll always stay on the line and listen to the, at least a minute of the song just to acknowledge how, what a, blessed, what a blessing that is. You know? I don't take any of that for granted. Well, we're going to listen to Better With You. This is the song that's been brought to us ahead of the album release on the 25th. Of course, you're heading around HMVs in Birmingham uh, in the not too distant future. So Better With You is what we're going to take a listen to. Give us the, a bit about this song and what this one means to you. Well, there's so much on the album that's about, you know, the erosion of love, the blossom of love, the, 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 uh, the, the fear, and I've, I've addressed everything, loss. And it's just such an honest record. I wanted to write something that was very uplifting and but they still had the sophistication of a an intelligent pop record that was very well structured and and I think I've managed to do that it's it's really designed I directed the video we just put that out the sun I had the exclusive yesterday and um, it's the video is phenomenal I, I really advise people to watch the video on my YouTube channel um, for better with you but it's it's really a song just that is solely designed to lift people's spirits and make them think about what, what is, what, what makes, you know, I know what makes things better for me within my life and, um, you know, better with you is really for that. It's just to make people remember that, um, we should, we, we try and lift people's spirits and, and stay in that place. I mean, that's what being a musician is about and live, I will tell you, it sounds like a little pop punk anthem right now. It's, it's really cool when live. Translates brilliantly live. Well, well worth seeing you on the HMV tour, which is promoting the album. We'll keep an eye on all your socials for the uh, the rest of the tour dates and everything you else you've got going on. Plugging this amazing new record, Zoe. I know you've been a fan for I don't know how long. Uh, <laughs> give us your closing uh, remarks to us. Actually, um, could you sponsor me? That'd be a good one. No, that's the, let's not go there. You're not going <laughs> to sponsor on your next charity. Oh, 
I'll do the marathon at the start of April. I'd love for you to sponsor me. <laughs> that seems to be the obsession. We'll leave that one there. Matt, great speaking to you. Thank you for joining us. Have an amazing time with the album. I know you deserve it. I know well, for one, I was disappointed. I couldn't go and see you when I was in Vegas because you weren't playing for the weeks I was there, which was a huge disappointment. But I'm very much looking forward to seeing you back in the UK in the not too distant future. Nothing but love to you and your listeners. And thank you. Uh, thank you for uh, making the time for me. Much love to you both. Goodbye from the mill bar. 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 Yeah. Goodbye from the mill bar. Yeah.